electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Last night's dueling town halls, pollster Frank Luntz has the takeaways from the still undecideds. For Donald Trump, the only way he can win at this point is that he would have to win every single undecided voter and then win over four or five percent who are leaning to Joe Biden right now. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on what Americans need to stay physically safe and economically secure with maybe more federal relief. Something like this, you go bigger go home. History will not be unkind to you if you overshoot. It will be if you undershoot. And where do we go from here? Internet entrepreneur, author, and LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman with predictions. I actually think we're probably in the next few years going to be figuring out as a country how is it that we get to a common view of the world and a common truth? It's Friday. Or Friday, as Becky would say. October 16th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. Maybe more importantly, welcome to Friday. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Today is Friday. Friday. It's yeah. Friday. So you, uh, nothing like like this. So I did think about that earlier, Becky. I will admit that today was Friday. Anyway, hard not that, to. Yeah. No. <laughs> God. Uh, every week, Andrew. It, it is like every week's a day, isn't it? I think every day is like a like a Saturday or a, a Sunday. We should just be so excited about about all of it. About you're such about a teacher's pet. Okay, all right, <laughs> all right. Let's admit it. The days are long. They're exciting. They're fun. But we all need a break just so we can make sure we make it to next week too and and pick it all up again. Let's talk about what happened last night. Uh, President Trump and former Vice President Biden making their case to the American people uh, on dueling town halls. I was sitting there with my remote going back and forth, back and forth. Both events focusing on the Trump administration's handling of the global pandemic. Do you support herd immunity as a strategy? Essentially just let people get sick. The cure cannot be worse than the problem itself. We did the right thing. We were expected to lose 2,200,000 people and maybe more than that. We're at 210,000 people. One person is too much. It should have never happened because of China. It happened because of China. And you have to get that and understand that. It is a presidential responsibility to lead. And he didn't do that. He didn't talk about what needed to be done because he kept worrying, in my view, about the stock market. He worried if he talked about how bad this could be unless we took these precautionary actions, then in fact the market would go down. And his barometer of success in the economy is the market. Joining us uh, right now is political strategist and pollster Frank Luntz, who watched the dueling town halls with a focus group of 16 undecided voters. Frank, what was the upshot? Well, the upshot, I've been trying to figure this out for the last couple months. Why are these people still undecided after all this time, after seeing all these different events and watching all the ads? And I can answer it for you right now. They are nervous about Trump's persona and they are nervous about Joe Biden's policies. And that's what's holding them back. It's not that they can't see a difference between the two candidates. They see a tremendous difference. 
But that difference is in aspects of things they don't like about each candidate, and they're trying to decide which is more important to them. The fact that they really don't like Donald Trump as a person, or the fact that they are really scared about what Joe Biden might do if he became president. Okay, so based on that assessment, though, as you talk to them and, and hear their, their thoughts, do you walk away from that feeling like they're moving in one direction or another based on these events or anything else? Uh, frankly, no. That they cannot decide and that they will not decide and that they're going to wait till Election Day. Our history tells us that in the end, if they haven't decided to support the incumbent, that they end up two to one supporting the challenger. For Donald Trump, the only way he can win at this point, and frankly, he should have done this debate, it was a mistake for him to cancel it. The only way now, with the states dividing the way that they are, and with so few people undecided, is that he would have to win every single undecided voter, and then win over four or five percent who are leaning to Joe Biden right now. That is a very tall order when you only have one more debate to come. I want to uh, show you a couple of clips and uh, get your feedback on them. Uh, last night, President Trump spoke about the economy during his town hall where Savannah Guthrie uh, interviewed him. Take a look at this. We are going to have a phenomenal third quarter, which will be announced on November 1st, just prior to the big November 3rd day, where I think you're going to see a red wave. But we're going to have a tremendous announcement. I believe. I mean, we're going to find out. But GDP is going through the roof. If we don't have somebody that raises taxes and quadruples taxes, which uh, they want to do and kills everything, our economy is going to be phenomenal next year. Was that an effective argument for your independence? No. No, it was not. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be tremendous. I guess you can applaud him for coming up with words that have three and four syllables. But that's not what these undecideds are looking for. They do support, they remember the economy before COVID, and they give Trump a lot of credit for that. But they want to know the details. How can he do it again under this current circumstance? And they don't want these generalities. They want to know exactly what he's going to do. They're never going to endorse him in his persona. They don't like how he attacks. They don't like the viciousness that comes from him. But they do appreciate his job, uh, and they appreciate his success. They want to see that he's going to be able to do that one more time. So, Frank, next week, uh, these two candidates are going to have their final debate together. In terms of approach, if you were advising both candidates, you would be telling them what? I'd be telling Joe Biden to repeat again and again. There he goes again. To use the same line that Ronald Reagan used to remind people of what they're tired of and to remind people that they're simply frustrated and anxious and, quite frankly, exhausted from this campaign. And for Donald Trump, and I'm sure that he will not do this, I would say, look, I would, I would apologize to Joe Biden for that first debate. And I'm being very serious now. I would apologize to him for that first debate and acknowledge that not everything has gone as planned, but reminding people that we did it before, we did it again. He's got the proof, he's got the evidence that he knows what to do, that it worked once, and that it can work again. I want to show you one more clip, but before we do that, what do you make of all of the votes that are coming in uh, by mail uh, as you're looking at the different tallies around the country? Are, are you convinced that those are in, in, you know, the prevailing wisdom is that people voting early are voting for Biden. Do you believe that's the case? I do. And I'm doing a, a significant amount of polling on it right now. And by the way, um, Andrew, I hope that you can show the focus group because the one thing that's been very frustrating to me as a pollster 
is that we're hearing from people like me and we're not hearing from the voters themselves. And I think that that is the well, most instructive thing that we could possibly give viewers. Frank, let, let's do that. Let's do that right now, because you, you asked your focus group of 16 undecided voters about the economy. And we have a clip of that. And I want to show it. Uh, let, let's roll it. Trump had an opportunity to speak to undecided voters. Uh, he specifically mentioned the economy. And what he says over and over again is it's going to be great. It's going to be better than ever. It's going to be, we're going to get right back to where we are. And there is zero substance to back it up. Economically, I would definitely, without hesitation, go for Trump because Biden and his tax plan just scared the bejesus out of me as a financial advisor. I was just reading an article about how our economic recovery right now looks like a K, where there are some businesses thriving and people doing really good and then others falling off. And I think it's reflective of our social makeup right now, where you have the haves and the have-nots and the people that are more divergent and disagree. And I worry that with the economy going forward as we recover, you're going to have people, for example, like our business is doing really well. And then you have people that haven't had a job since March. And I think it's just going to become more and more divisive as we keep going. That's my fear. Hey, Frank, that was fascinating. Do you genuinely believe these people really haven't made up their minds? Are they posturing? when they say they don't know what they're gonna do? No, because they really, 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 really do not like the president and how he speaks to people and how he addresses these things and how he carries himself. It's deep. Hey, Frank. But they really, really, really Frank, are I, afraid. They're afraid of what you're we'll going to do. Time, they're but... afraid of his policies. All right, can I, can ahead, I answer a quick one? Uh, the quick one is that, you know, when people run for president, they deserve to be asked the toughest questions in the world and to be grilled. But they both should be grilled on that. Do you think up to this point we've seen uh, the, an interview with Joe Biden where he's been asked tough questions? Do you expect there to be a forum at any time in the future where he actually is held to the same standard in terms of an interview that Savannah Guthrie did with, uh, with President Trump last night? You and I have disagreed on a number of uh, occasions on this show. You and I are in total agreement here. I asked my focus group participants who they thought better handled the interview, who they thought was a better moderator and host. And by 14 to two, they chose George Stephanopoulos. They felt that the way that Savannah Guthrie handled Donald Trump brought out the worst in him, but that she shouldn't have done it. This was billed as a town hall. With about 20 minutes into it, I took a photograph of the screen and it says NBC town hall. Not a single average voter had asked a question in the first 20 minutes. That's hardly, hardly a town hall. They thought that Stephanopoulos let Biden get away with a little bit too much, but they appreciated that he let the former vice president respond. They gave him time and he didn't interrupt. Okay. She was all, all right. over Trump and they didn't like that at all. Okay, Frank, thanks, appreciate it. Well, you would do this again probably in a week. Next on Squawk Pod, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy preparing for a second wave of coronavirus and the stalemate over stimulus relief. Now is the time to go big. It was the time earlier this summer. It's not too late, but folks are desperate and something has to get done. Back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. It's the stimulus talks that continue in D.C. The Garden State announcing its uh, own plan to boost economic growth. Let's welcome Governor Phil Murphy uh, of New Jersey. So far, uh, nine CEOs from around the state of New Jersey, from companies like Merck, Johnson & Johnson, Verizon, Campbell's Soup, uh, all pledging to hire 30,000 people uh, in the next 10 years. Uh, Governor, thank you for joining us this morning. I hope, uh, I hope you're well. You're looking chipper uh, this morning. Thank you, Joe. So are you. Thanks for thank having you. me. Um, how much stimulus would you like right now? To, are, are, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this other initiative in a second. It's long term. But, but the, the issue of the day is that we're still, you know, we're like this. Whose fault is it? We're still like this, Governor. And, and people yep. could use something. The markets probably would, would you know, the markets would probably uh, take solace in that. Uh, Jay Powell, chairman of the Fed, has, has, has begged for it. And we seem so close. Um, do you expect something to happen before the election? Well, I hope so, Joe. I mean, um, we, we sure need it. And it, it, there was a narrative six months ago that this was a blue state thing or a legacy state thing. And thank God, uh, and unfortunately, the silver lining of this awful pandemic is it's an every state thing. We all need help. Um, and, and it's the smart thing to do. It keeps people in jobs. It delivers services that are desperately needed uh, in our hour of need. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. It feels like it's gotten close. I'm a huge believer in Speaker Pelosi. I've had a lot of exchanges with her. I've had a fair amount of exchanges with the, uh, the Treasury Secretary. Um, we need not just any deal, though. We need the right deal. And it has to go to the, to, the, to the needs that are the most from the people who are suffering the most in this. Again, I'm an optimist, and I hope we get something soon. And just to, to drill down on, on what's happening, you know, the, the, the gap has narrowed. And there is a narrative from um, from the White House and others that that the speaker doesn't want to give the president a win before the election day. And but then the I saw the speaker get really uh, animated with Wolf Blitzer, who's like a pretty friendly guy, I think, uh, normally to the cause. And um, it was just weird. I, I, it seems like both sides are getting really defensive. I just wish we could all get along. I mean, we're only 300. How far apart are we now? We're, we're, we're not that yeah, far listen, apart. I, Does it have to be perfect? Don't you, think, don't you think Speaker Pelosi should maybe not, or both, uh, you know, I don't want to just focus on her, but the other side, both should be able to, to compromise on 300 bill, whatever it is, whatever the difference is now? Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it needs to be better than it is. But, Listen, I, I, the speaker put uh, the, the exact right bill on the table months ago. So I, I don't in any way, shape, or form uh, accept that she's the one at fault here or that she's trying to prevent something from happening before the election day. Uh, this is politics from the other side, with all due respect, Joe, on this one. Now that just sounds like the other side, Governor. And that, that well, I got to call. That, listen, I'm that calling, doesn't help us Joe, I'm calling forward. balls and strikes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm making my, there, my observations based on the facts. There's she put this in out there. in early summer. There's nothing in there that, 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 you, that you might have a problem with if you were a Republican because it's not uh, involved with the, the matter at hand. And it is a big number. So anything, you know, we, at this point, there shouldn't be things in there that aren't just front and center for trying to deal with the crisis. 
And you don't think there are, you're saying there aren't anything. Listen, I'm not read into every little detail. I do know that New Jersey needs state aid. We're not the only state, every state does. We need extension of unemployment benefits. Small businesses, especially in restaurants and hospitality, need a helping hand. There's a whole range of needs. I was saying this in August, and the president um, has now been saying it over the past few days. I, in August, I said, listen, in something like this, you go big or go home. History will not be unkind to you if you overshoot. It will be if you undershoot. And I couldn't believe it, but the Republican Senate went home instead of going big. Now is the time to go big. It was the time earlier this summer. It's not too late, but folks are desperate. Uh, and right. something has to get done, Joe. We've got to stop playing politics with this and get that done. A, a potential future New Jersey uh, resident would like to, to get in now, uh, Governor. Oh, Andrew. please. Hey, Governor, it's Andrew here. Um, Curious about one of the other big sticking points, Pelosi's office saying that this idea of a national testing strategy uh, is still up for grabs, that that's really where there's a big debate. And I'm curious, as somebody who leads a state who may, who may want to do it your own way, which is, I think, one of the reasons that, that, that we haven't, uh, why there's such a, a, a disparity here on this issue, uh, how you think about a national strategy versus a state strategy. Andrew, the, uh, the welcome mat and the welcome gift basket is ready for you when you're ready to get to Jersey, by the way. Um, listen, testing has been a challenge from day one, and we have found consistently common ground with the administration, including recently on this Binax instant turnaround test. Uh, so for, for, that, for achieving that common ground uh, on a whole range of areas, I'll be forever grateful. But we have lacked in national strategies, national face coverings, national masking. Uh, I do think a national testing framework um, uh, is, is still uh, not just relevant, is, is still needed. Tell me, uh, Governor, the, the latest on, on whether you see some of the troubling signs that, that we're seeing around the world, really. I mean, Paris, uh, the, uh, in London, uh, parts of the United States and elsewhere. Is, is New Jersey susceptible to a a problem in, in, in the fall that we've been worried about with the flu coming yeah, listen, everything we've come a, We've come a long way, Joe, but our numbers are up. There's no question about it over the past several weeks. You know, we're regularly 700 to just under 1,000 cases, uh, new positives every day. Uh, there are hot spots, so I can't say that it's everywhere, but there's a fair amount of community spread. And, and there's a developing consensus that, and I'll quote, uh, Bob Redfield at the CDC, that the town square is actually in reasonably good shape in the sense that in public, uh, when folks are going out, whether it's to dining or gatherings, that for the most part, uh, folks are doing the right thing. But it's, it's in homes. It's in our private lives. It's in congregate living. Uh, it's in you know, frat houses. It's where, where you're, you're inside and you've got a lot of people living close to each other. And, and some some amount of fatigue setting in that that's where our challenge is right now. So we you know we we have got to stay on that bullhorn of social distancing, face coverings, washing your hands with soap and water. And if you're either not feeling well or you know you've been exposed to somebody, take yourself off the field and and self quarantine and get tested. WHO has has come out and said that that governments really shouldn't be using shutdowns as a first line of defense anymore. Do you think we will go back to, to shutdowns of schools, shutdowns of businesses, shutdowns of restaurants and bars again, even in isolated places in the state? Becky, I hope not. I think um, I think we're less likely, and please God that this is the case, we're less likely to use blunt instruments that we used 
in March and April when we shut the garage doors down on everything and much more likely to use a scalpel um, and, and go into a particular community or a particular, for instance, higher education uh, has been a challenge. So we've, we've plussed up contact tracers, testing capacities into some communities, into the higher ed community. So I, I sure as heck hope if we're, if we're taking action that it's, it's that scalpel as opposed to the, the blunt instruments that we were using in the spring. Tell me about uh, the, the council and, and, um, and the plans that, that we talked about right at the top, the CEO council, Governor. Yeah, Joe, this is really exciting. We've had a restart recovery commission for many months. Shirley Tillman, former president of Princeton, Ken Frazier, CEO of Merck, have led that a great group of folks that's made a huge difference. Out of that has spun a CEO council, as you rightfully pointed out, that's now grown to nine companies, co-chaired by Ken and Charlie Lowry, uh, CEO of Prudential. Uh, and this group uh, of their own will came up and said, you know what, we want to make a commitment uh, to hiring a certain amount of folks by the end of this decade who we otherwise would not have hired and have uh, developed relationships with vendors uh, to the tune of a big number uh, with vendors that we otherwise would not have been doing business with. And in each case, it's a focus on hiring underserved communities, particularly communities of color, as well as diverse vendors. And it's, it's a continuation, Joe, of the theme that we've talked about here before. The pandemic didn't create the, the inequities, but it's laid them bare. And so this CEO council has stepped up with this commitment. And if that weren't enough, they're actually now encouraging other companies to come in and hire an additional pool. So they've, those nine companies have committed to 30,000 uh, hires at the end of the decade beyond what they would have done, again, with that focus on underserved communities. They're encouraging other companies to come in for another 40,000 uh, hires by the end of the decade beyond what they would have hired, as well as that vendor commitment, which ends up to be a half a billion dollars of incremental uh, relationships with diverse suppliers. So it's a really exciting initiative. I take my hat off to these leaders, uh, and we're thrilled to unveil it. That's awesome. That's great. Great news. Uh, and and quite a list, uh, Sorkin, not for nothing, but I mean, New Jersey's obviously got something going for it. I mean, did you see that? that, that think if we had all those guests on it's very on, on any job. given day, those CEOs, if we had, if that You're, was our squawk lineup. I mean, they, 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 Governor, they see something in the, the Garden State, do they not, that uh, some no, people may not uh, appreciate? No, no question about it. I mean, it's a who's who, and, and I can't say enough good things about them, each and every one of them. Listen, we, we think of ourselves as the best place in America to raise a family, uh, number one public education system in America, yep. best location in America, yep. best health care, uh, outstanding infrastructure, uh, quality of life. Uh, families get that and companies get that. And we work every day. We wear their right. presence here as a badge of honor. We work every day to earn, uh, earn, earn their presence and earn their commitment and investment in our state. Governor, thank you. I, you know, I've tried. I've, I've, I've you know, I've st uh, stopped wasting my breath now. But I've tried. Becky gets it. Becky gets it. But, uh, but I've tried. But thank you. Oh yeah. Uh, we'll, right. We'll continue to, uh, to, to make the case. But we're good to see you uh, today, Governor. Thanks. And good luck. Good to see you, Joe. Andrew, tough, Becky. Thank you. Tough year. Good luck. Anyway, see you. Amen. Coming up, LinkedIn co-founder, author, and fellow podcaster, Reid Hoffman, on maintaining stability in America from media to elections. If there's 
five or 10 mistakes, that does not invalidate the process. And by the way, if you say it does, then you basically say, well, okay, all elections in American history should essentially be invalidated. Squawk Pod will be right back. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted, where I felt adventures pulse with every step, and where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's October, isn't it? I think it is. Anyway, all the months are... It is. Are, is it? Are you sure? But I, I, I'm focusing on Friday, Becky. I can only focus on so many things. It is a Friday. It's a Friday in one of those months. <laughs> and I believe, right. it's 20, I believe it's 2020. A number of prominent business leaders who've been speaking out on election integrity including Baupost Group CEO Seth Klarman, former Yahoo CEO Marissa Meyer, and our next guest, billionaire entrepreneur and investor Reid Hoffman. They've signed a new business statement calling for both patience and civility surrounding the election and specifically the election results. And Reid joins us now. Of course, he is the co-founder of LinkedIn and a partner at Greylock and Reid. It's great to have you on the program this morning. How concerned are you about this issue of election integrity but also whatever may or may not be a delay in those results being made public. Well, very, con- very concerned because I think that actually, in fact, given that we're living in a pandemic, people are trying to be safe, they're trying to be good to other people, trying to not create more death and more suffering. Many people are essentially voting by mail. There's some states that are voting by mail for the first time, Pennsylvania, et cetera. There's, so there's, there's, this, there's this question where, you know, on November 3rd, with all of the ballots by mail, you won't actually have the normal, you called it on the night of November 3rd. And of course, I'm very worried that President Trump will want to just declare victory and say, hey, we don't need those vote by mail or all those kinds of things, which will lead to uncertainty. And I think the thing that we want is we want to say, no, no, we're a democracy. Every vote counts. Let's just get all of the mail ballots, which by the way, all all experts, all history has shown that at large scale national level, it's always been uh, and uh, safe and integrate, you know, kind of um, uh, good to do. Let's just do that and let's do it in a calm manner and expect that. Reed, you have been a supporter of uh, Vice President Biden for president, uh, and you have been a very public detractor of President Trump's. Uh, president Trump, even last night, made comments about uh, the possibility of uh, interference in uh, apps, in, in ballots that are, are sent uh, by mail. And he cited articles, and there are articles, uh, about instances of, of uh, ballots and other things found in garbages and the like. What do you make of that? And, and what do you think the message should be to the American public about that, uh, th- that, I- that idea? Well, it, it's pretty straightforward, which is, look, did five ballots or 10 ballots as part of like accidentally a, uh, like, a like someone dumped a basket of mail or something, 
that in the, the press that went through each of those instances. It was like one or two ballots. And when you're talking about 100 million ballots, you know, 340 million people in the U.S., it doesn't make any difference, right? So it's like, oh, look, here's one ballot that looked like it was fraudulent. That doesn't make any difference at the scale of the national election. And that's, I think, classic kind of misleading. It's trying to undermine trust in our institutions, undermine trust in our democracy, undermine trust in our, in our process. And it's destructive to America and America's values. And that's, that's why I think is, it's so important for actually business leaders who, of course, normally try to say, hey, politics, we keep it out of the workplace. You know, it's like, no, this isn't a politics issue. This isn't a Democrat issue. This isn't a Republican issue. This is an American issue. This is a democracy issue. This is a stability um, issue. The, the Florida, read, Florida, in 2000, Florida had, it was 1,000 votes. It was 1,000 votes mm -hmm. in Florida, and they were hanging chads. Trump won four years ago with a total of 70,000 votes or something in, in how many swing states? So what are you talking about? I mean, what, do you, what do you mean 1,000 votes came out? It could be 500. And Florida was the key. It, it, the entire election hinged on Florida. What are, you, what are you talking about? How can it not <laughs> matter? What do you mean? It's, there's 300 million. We don't need to worry. Uh, I was saying 300 million people. No, what I, I was saying is, I understand, yeah. but it could be one state, and unless you get rid of the electoral college by then. Probably not likely. We're going to have to wait till uh, till next year to do that. But until you do that, it, it could come down to a small number of ballots. Well, it could come down to a small number of ballots. But the instance, the, the instances that are used of saying, "Oh, here is a ballot that didn't get counted because it got thrown away," or the the, the examples that have been used now. If someone figured out how to put, you know, 5,000, you know, kind of uh, fake ballots in, in a way that, by the way, you know, hasn't, as far as we know, in, in American democratic history, hasn't happened. Um, if, if that happened, then, of course, in the right strategic uh, way. But that's, by the way, you're talking also in 2016 was a super close election relative to the fact that you had just enough for the Electoral College where you know, the, where, where he'd actually lost the election by three million popular votes. So the, the question about saying every ballot, like if, if there was one errant ballot, then the election uh, doesn't work. Well, the same thing will be true of also in-person voting and so forth. So I'm not, it's not, um, it, it's the question that you have to look at the kind of scale of it. And you say, look, if there's five or 10 mistakes, that does not invalidate the process. And by the way, if you say it does, then you basically say, well, okay, all American, all elections in American history should essentially be invalidated. Reed, let me ask you a different question. You made a comment earlier about how historically, at least in the business place, politics were supposed to be uh, on the side or out of it. People could do their own personal thing, but it wasn't something that was going to be in the workplace. Um, you have been very um, public with uh, your uh, politics and uh, the spending that, you, that you've endeavored to pursue. How do you think about that? And how do you think about that relative to CEOs and others that are following a similar course during this election? Well, I think that, look, I, I think it's a very good thing that normally Democrat Republicans say, hey, we, we keep, we keep uh, you know, politics out of the workplace. Uh, you know, we have uh, shareholders, employees, customers, et cetera. And, and, and the business of, of businesses to build products and services, create employment and so forth. It changes when you say what actually, in fact, we're talking about is the structure of the democracy, where we say, look, should uh, everyone be enabled to vote? Should we have a civil order? Should we say, yes, we have a legitimate election, a legitimate transfer of power? These things are fundamental American values. And then, by the way, they're very important to business. Like when you say, well, 
for example, you mentioned that one of the reasons I, I support Biden is I actually think he is the business vote, right? Oddly, usually you say Democrats, the values vote, and Republicans, the business vote, but because you say oh, Republicans lower on taxes, but actually, in fact, stability in a society, an ability to say, hey, we can plan on the future. We're not formatting, formatting discord uh, within society and calling out the illegitimacy of the election from the podium of the president. That's actually, in fact, the anti-business activity, the stability needs to be the business activity. So, Reid, I, I just, I'm, I'm just not clear enough. So you keep saying again and again that every vote counts, we've got to get every vote, but a couple of thousand here and there don't matter. I mean, take, for your I next didn't interview, just, a couple thousand, for, for your, but yes. Okay, but for your next interview, just get those two together, because it just sounds totally, um, it, it sounds mutually exclusive. I'm not sure. So every vote does count, but, but we can't be that worried about, you know, if Newman, the mailman, leaves him in his closet, we don't need to worry about it. Look, partially because of Newman and his, his closet is leaving him, it's probably an intersection, like, you know, like, for example, maybe it's a particular, uh, and obviously, by the way, we don't want that. Of course we don't want that. But it's like, okay, there were, there were 20 ballots in there, you know, maybe 12 of them were Democrat and eight of them Republican or 12 of them Republican and eight of them are Democrat. You know, that kind of thing is within the statistics of an overall large voting system. Hey, Reid, we, we've only got about 60 seconds left. Uh, what do you think the impact of the election is going to be on Silicon Valley itself? You've talked about stability uh, you, you think would be better for business uh, broadly, but there's big questions about regulations right now, and we're in the midst of this even Twitter, Facebook war uh, over over uh, censorship and the First Amendment? Uh, well, I think, you know, technology is such an important part of the future, and we need to actually have our media ecosystem within democracy lead us to more understanding and more truth. So I actually think we're probably in the next few years going to be figuring out as a country, how is it that we get to a common view of the world and a common truth? And then what's the What's the iterative way of doing that? doesn't mean there isn't still going to be lots of falseness said within every media ecosystem, ranging from television to the Internet. But it means that, you know, how do we improve is, I think, one of our very central questions. OK, uh, Reid Hoffman, we appreciate you waking up uh, quite early on the West Coast for us uh, this morning. Uh, it's an important issue, and uh, we very much appreciate you being with us. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. We are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, tell a friend to listen to. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.